chapter 1, starting at verse 35. In your pew Bible, that'll be on page 1054, 1054. It'll be on the screen as well. We'll start there as we prepare to meet the Apostle Andrew today. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and where he was staying, they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, but you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, this is Andrew, and like I said, we've been doing this long series of messages, as you know, looking at the uh, apostles and their style of being disciples and seeking disciples so that we could learn from them. And it's occurred to me that, I don't know about you, but I like those shows that have a, a large cast. You know, when you watch a TV shows that have a big cast, you kind of get caught up in some of the sub-stories and so forth, and you you are more invested in some characters than others. And, and you know why that is? It's because you can relate to some characters more than others. It's, it's why we're doing this series, because if we look at all the apostles and, and the other people that surrounded Jesus, we're going to find somebody we could particularly relate to. Andrew, I believe, is someone that uh, many of you will be able to relate to. And this is why we're doing this. So what I, I guess you need to start by just looking at the fact that Andrew was Simon Peter's brother, okay? And Simon Peter appears to have been the oldest, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. And Andrew seems to fit the bill nicely for being the next one in line after Simon Peter. So Andrew appears to be a guy who, you know, was a networker. He knew people. He was interested in people. He cared about the people around him. And he listened to their stories. He checked out, you know, why was he with, with uh, John the Baptist? Probably because he heard about John and thought he'd go check him out. See what he was all about. Listen to what he had to say. Get a sense of, of you know, what this latest uh, preacher was up to and, and, uh, and then he probably talked, you know, he probably stayed after the sermon and talked with John and John's other disciples. And, and then he probably talked with other people and said, you know, what do you think about this? And he just was a, was a networker, just gathering information. It appears that he, you know, is uh, in church history, he's known as the one who goes and brings people to Jesus. First of all, he brought his brother, but the way the scripture that we just read uh, suggests pretty plainly that he was the first of the people that 
Andrew brought to Jesus. So Andrew was in the habit of bringing people to Jesus and introducing them to Jesus. He was a networker. He was just one of those people that, you know, would say, you know, I met a guy the other day that's in the insurance business. He seemed pretty good guy. Maybe you should meet him. You know, he just was like that. He was just those kind of people that uh, he'd probably been a good salesperson, you know, and so he was just, that, that's the impression that we get of him. And you might be thinking that I am overusing my sanctified imagination. And this is why I want to take you into my process a little bit. So, so there's this process that the preachers call exegesis. It's a, uh, it's, a, it's a fancy word that just means that you dissect the scripture in more depth and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an expectation of a preacher, especially, or a teacher, because this is the way that we use the skills we've learned and the knowledge we've attained and the help of the Holy Spirit to give you greater insight into what the Word seems to be saying. Well, this is, this is a critical part of my exegetical process. It's my non-canonical reading. In other words, I don't just read the Bible. I read lots of things. And I can't hold a candle to my daughter, Bethany, who is just a reading maniac. She's a machine. She can read fast and many books. And I've never been able to do that. But I think I may have given her the habit because I've always been a reader. And I've enjoyed studies. I, I was talking with somebody the other day about how I really wasn't a very good high school student at all. I wasn't a very good grade school student. I just wasn't a very good student in public school. And I literally graduated from high school. Lottie, how come? <laughs> What's amazing, though, is that decades later, I graduated with my master's degree, magna cum laude. Well, how did that happen? Well, that's a whole other story I'd love to share with you, but the thing I want you to take away from it is, is, is that college just suited my learning style better than public school. No offense, public school teachers, okay? I'm just telling you, it just was not my style. And these days, they would have probably pigeonholed me and put me in some sort of category because I couldn't do it the way the government's you know, requires, but I'm probably walking on toes there, should shut up. Um, I just was a lousy grade school student and high school student, but when I embraced the learning style that was natural to me, I sucked up information like a sponge. And one of the things that I learned along the way that so helped me in raising my own children and interpreting much of my networking experience with people was a book called The Birth Order Book by Kevin Lehman. Now you may have heard of it, but this book is fascinating and it really played into how I interpreted who Andrew was and what kind of person Andrew was. So you might want to write this book down as something you'd want to read, especially if you're a parent or you're planning to be a parent because this is so uncannily accurate, it's just amazing. The book's been around for decades, it's been updated and revised many times, and my personal experience has informed me that it is accurate as all get out. It is amazing. So let's look at this for a second. Basically, Layman's premise is, is that if you're a firstborn, you almost always come with a certain set of traits. 
And if you're the second born or the middle child, you almost always come with a certain set of traits. And then youngest have yet another set and only children have a certain set. And then there are different dynamics in the book that describe what happens when you have very large families or very mixed families through mixed marriages and things like that. But the dynamics of the family play out very consistently. And this is why I can tell you what I think Andrew, what kind of guy Andrew was, and I'm pretty sure I'm right. See, firstborns, according to Lehman, are children who tend to be responsible, achievement-oriented, and often develop leadership qualities. They are often natural leaders and caregivers. Does that not sound like Simon Peter? Everything you've read about Peter in the Bible suggests that he was kind of a type A-driven guy, firstborn. You know, where was Peter when Andrew was investigating John the Baptist. Well, he was either at the docks or out in the boat because he's got people to take care of. He's got a business to run. What about you firstborns? Do your siblings think you're too bossy? <laughs> you, know you, you know who you are. Siblings, what about that firstborn? You'll be more kind in your explanation, won't you? <laughs> yeah, firstborns are pretty amazing. You know, what's, uh, another thing that's amazing about firstborns, if they really excel at academics, let's say, then the secondborn will almost certainly excel at something like sports or trades. Or if the firstborn is a real athlete, then the next one will almost certainly excel in academics and things like that. It's, it's uncanny how consistent this is. And, and the layman's investigation has been proven out over and over again. So a middle child, second born, whatever, they tend to be children who are typically peacemakers, they're adaptable, they're good at negotiating, they develop a strong sense of independence and a, de a desire for fairness. And as I said, they tend to diverge from whatever the firstborn excels at. Doesn't this sound like Andrew to you? I sure see it. I'm almost certain that Andrew was the next kid in line after Peter. And the scriptures give us enough information, albeit anecdotal, to, to draw this conclusion. Now, before we get too far into this family uh, dynamic psychology, I want you to understand that we're going to come back to the Bible, and that's our main purpose. But as long as we've dipped into this water a little bit, maybe there's something beneficial to you and your family that I can share. Um, I will not read you everything I have in the notes, but I intentionally put it all in there so that you could take the notes home with you and get a more complete summary of the birth order book and the other things I'm sharing with you. So I really recommend you get those sermon notes out there on the table. And of course, I'll email you tomorrow with digital copies of everything. So, you know, you may want to look at this a little further, but I will tell you that the last born uh, is, you know, usually outgoing and charming and creative, and they tend to be the babies of the family and they might use their charm occasionally to get their way. I hear you giggling. 
So I was the fourth of five children, but my younger sister was eight years younger than me, so in effect, I was the last born, which is why I'm so darn cute and charming. <laughs> right, Mom? Mom watches every week. And she'll tell you that, you know, I'm just delightful and charming. I think I was really a pain in the neck, but that's another story. But then that presents an interesting dynamic because you see my younger sister being so much younger than me. So, but you know, by eight years, there's kind of a, a limitation to this theory that breaks off when there isn't uh, just a matter of a few years. So my younger sister, in fact, was raised as an only child. I mean, we were there, the older siblings were there, but she, you know, got a different kind of deal because of her age difference. And, and you know something else, children, that you should keep in mind is, is that we parents get a little wiser every year. And by the time you youngest come around, we're just a lot more mellow. And we're a little more understanding than we were when we were new at this. And we thought, you know, I mean, you know, the problem with you firstborns is, is you are the first time around for the parents, which means a lot of experimentation happens. And a lot of testing through anxiety and fright and everything else. It's like, like, you know, when you're firstborn, trips and falls, you know, you think, oh my gosh, I gotta completely rearrange the house so they never get hurt again. By the time you get to the kid that was me, the baby, like, eh, he'll be okay. You know, if I fell down the stairs, my mother would just say, are you okay? And if I said, yeah, she'd say, fine. Go back to what she was doing. I may be exaggerating slightly. My mother was more concerned about me than that. But you know, there's a difference between the way we raised the first one and the way we raised the last one. And that has something to do with that whole birth order dynamic too. So as far as I'm going with this, what I'd like you to take away from it is, is that yes, even in this sort of thing, the Bible has stuff to teach you. See, the Bible was already telling us about the birth order dynamic in the family long before Kevin Lehman wrote his book. It's all there. You can take dozens of stories from within the Holy Bible and see how the birth order dynamic plays out. And what you parents can take away from this and grandparents and teachers and other people who deal with children is it really helps to know where these children and young people that you've met, even the adults you associate with, fall in the birth order. I, some of you have probably talked with me privately and heard me ask you, so where did you fall in your family birth order? I've asked that question, even of people who are my age or older than me, when I'm talking to them about their lives and listening to them tell their story, because it matters. It really matters, because if I know where you fall in the birth order, I can pretty much guess what your outlook on life is, at least to a certain extent. So let's go back to Andrew, because some of you will probably be able to identify with him. Oh, by the way, I meant to tell you this before we move on. Laura's the oldest of eight. For the last 40 years, because I knew her long before we got married, for the last 40 years, I have found her family to be an amazing test subject. I, I have done so much clinical analysis of her family, you wouldn't believe it. Oh my goodness, I, I, have, I could write papers 
about her family because, man, is that ever a... Well, when you have eight children and then they have spouses and then they have children and their children have children, it's a society. It's a small village. And I'm telling you what, I could tell you stories about how the birth order dynamic plays out just watching my bride's family. And all I can say is I'm so glad I got the oldest. (laughs) I'm so glad I was the baby and I married an oldest. So she takes really good care of me. And by the way, she finds it very difficult to resist my charm. (laughs) So Andrew, Andrew was the second born probably almost certainly and Andrew was a guy who was just a natural networker and and he was so laid back because well you know he saw how wound up his big brother was and so he's naturally just more relaxed and more comfortable with fluid dynamics of situations and so forth they just don't know what what's going to develop, but it's okay. And he was almost certain as one of the very first apostles of Jesus, he was almost certain to have been vital to the process of developing the apostles into a cohesive group that followed Jesus's instructions and fulfilled Jesus's mission for them. See, Every body of people needs the Peters, you know, the drivers, the doers, the ones who just put their head down and charge toward the goal, whatever that is. But they also need the Andrews, the people who soften the sharp edges on the Peter type. There are people in this church family who are like that. They are doers, man. They take off and they get things done. But you know, it's pretty helpful to have someone around who's good at softening the sharp edges and and negotiating and networking the entire group so that we have a family of people who are unique and uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit and yet altogether capable of fulfilling God's vision and mission for the body. And that's why leadership is so important and why Jesus managed the apostles according to their gifts and brought out the best in each of them according to their gifts. And in Jesus's absence, he has to find other people who have that same quality of being able to bring together a diverse group of people and let them be who they are. So the family of God that we call the Shiloh family is like that too. We work together as a family to glorify God because we can't help it, but we also do it in a way that only works if we feel comfortable with the ways we differ from each other and the different perspectives we have on life. And so it becomes a holy communion because each, according to their gifts and graces, is complementary to the rest. It just takes a little bit of networking and negotiating and peacemaking and maybe even a little bit of charm. And things get done and good things happen. 
And that is essentially the biggest takeaway from this today is that we need those Andrews. We tend to gravitate to the Peters because we're just naturally drawn to someone who looks like they know what they're doing and they're confident and they're competent and they're gonna get it done and we're naturally drawn to them, but we will also find ourselves wounded by them if we don't have people like Andrew to take away the sting and to balance the various personalities. Finally, this is a word of encouragement to you parents as a father of five myself, I can tell you that if you can look at your children as individuals, whether you have one or 20, it doesn't matter, look at each one as an individual and take the time to get to know them as a person and to devote yourself to bringing out the very best in them, there's nothing more important that you can do with your life. I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago, and I say this with genuine sincerity. I question sometimes whether I've accomplished anything in my life that I'm proud of or whether I feel you know, I, I mean, there are so many hopes and dreams I have for this church and every church I've ever served that I'm never going to see fulfilled. And sometimes I wonder if I can live with that. And then it occurred to me, my greatest accomplishment and the only one that matters is my children. <laughs> the greatest thing I've ever done, the greatest thing I've ever accomplished in my life is to raise awesome children, to raise children that make me so proud, who make the world better because they're part of it, who seek relationships that encourage and, and sanctify everything they touch. Oh my goodness, there's nothing that gives me more pride and gives me a greater sense of accomplishment than being their dad. So I want to encourage those of you who are raising children or even with those who have adult children with children of their own, there is no greater thing you can do with your life than to invest in the people who are the very closest to you. And it's surprising how many of us get distracted by trying to provide for those people and we forget to take care of them. You can give them less and love them more and they'll be better for it. I guarantee you. They don't need their stuff and their things as much as they need you. And I promise you that if you invest in them and know them on a personal level and talk to them as equals no matter what age you find them, and if you listen actively the greatest thing you've ever done with your life will be those children. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Now burn it on our hearts and change us forever. For your name's sake, amen.